Welcome to the Resourceful HDR podcast. I'm Sally Purcell, and in this podcast, I explore high degree research, HDR, career and employment experiences, how individuals have made career decisions, navigated transitions, and helped others to build a career. In Australia, HDR usually includes Master of Research, PhDs, and professional doctorates. I hope you enjoy this podcast. This episode of the Resourceful HDR podcast was recorded via Zoom, so I apologise for any sound issues. My guest today on the Resourceful HDR podcast is Maylena Hearn. Maylena is a physiotherapist with 20 years of experience in clinical practice, working with clients, neurological, orthopaedic and geriatric rehabilitation. She graduated from the University of Sydney, Bachelor of Applied Science Physiotherapy Honours, and has also completed a graduate diploma in Information Technology at the University of Technology, Sydney. She's worked in Australia and the UK in clinical roles in hospitals, community, aged care and private practice. She has previously worked as a National Clinical Education Consultant in the assistive technology industry to improve access to adequate supports for clients with a range of chronic and complex health conditions. Maylene has recently been awarded her PhD at Macquarie University in the development and testing of an individualised primary care program for acute low back pain. Her research interests include research translation, implementation of evidence-based practice into complex healthcare systems and improving person-centred care. Maylene recently started working as the Improvement Facilitator Aged Care in the Palliative Care Outcomes Collaboration Team within the Australian Health Services Research Institute. It's lovely to have you as my guest, Maylene. Congratulations on submitting your PhD. Thank you for having me, Sally. It's a pleasure to be here. So you worked as a physiotherapist for many years before you commenced your PhD. Can you talk about what led you to choose physiotherapy as a degree program in the first place? Yeah, it's a bit of a funny story, Sally. And I always say to people that physio chose me, not the other way. So <laughs> I knew I wanted to do pursue something in health and something in the sciences because that was always my passion, even as a child. But I didn't really know what profession I should choose when I first finished my HSC. I stumbled into University of Sydney and I went for a little walk listening to various different talks on different um, health degrees. And I was sitting in this lecture theatre listening to uh, the people who later did become my lecturers talking about physio. And I thought to myself, that sounds like a good profession. I think I'll do that. And I always wonder if I hadn't walked into that particular room and listened to that lecture, if I would be a physio today. So I always joke that it, it picked me. I also didn't know that I wanted to be a physio until second year, halfway through second year of university, because you go into a health science degree and it's quite generic in the beginning or used to be where you, you, know, you could do any science degree and you'd be studying similar subjects. So what physio actually was didn't become clear until my first prac, where I actually worked in a hospital. It was in Wyong actually, and I got to work with patients and, and I realized that would be the thing that I'd always be happy doing. So, so yeah, that's how I found physiotherapy. That serendipity that happens to so many of us, uh, because really there's so many things we could choose. How do we know what the right thing is? And you're only young. If you hadn't gone there, heard those people, but it does sound like it was something you, you sort of 
understood you wanted to do something in health and you, you had narrowed it to that at least. It spoke to you at that point, but of course it was later on that you went, yes, this is what I want to do. And when you graduated, you worked as a physiotherapist. So can you tell me a little bit about your career as a physiotherapist? Yes. So again, I think it was a real process of trial and error with, with working out what exactly I liked about being a physiotherapist in terms of what area of physiotherapy I wanted to focus on. You know, there was people I, I graduated with who were very clear that they wanted to be working in private practice or running onto the rugby field and <laughs> helping those athletes. Whereas I was happy to try all aspects of physio and then make up my mind. So I ended up working um, both in Australia and the UK. I ended up working in hospitals and community. I worked in the corporate sector as well. And I guess that was one thing I do appreciate about physio, that you can actually try many, many different avenues and still use those base skills that you learned at uni. Still work with people, still work towards improving health of people, but it helps you grow as well because you get to try new things. It's interesting because I've spoken to lots of people who've chosen physiotherapy because they're sporting and it's the sport that's driven them to choose physiotherapy. So it's really good that you went into that and had an open mind and that way you could experience a lot of different things and use that experiential learning to make some really informed choices. And I guess as along the way when you're working as a physiotherapist in a clinical setting, you learn a lot about yourself, as you say, and about other people. But then you chose to complete a graduate diploma in IT. What led to that? Curiosity, Sally. <laughs> I think I might describe myself as that perpetual student. I think I'm always wanting to learn something new. I am attracted to a new topic, a new area. If I think that there's something that would increase my knowledge and something I've never, ever thought about, I actually like trying things that I don't know much about because that's a real challenge then to do that. And then with hindsight, I learned that everything is interconnected. So it really doesn't matter what you study at uni, in my mind. I think what you're learning is how to learn and it's wonderful to see the links later. So in my different roles and different jobs that I've done since, I have used the skills that I studied in IT and in physiotherapy. I think I always had this idea that technology, I mean, and we're talking nearly 20 years ago, you know, would be a really big presence in the health space, even more than it was at that time. And I had this vision that perhaps you could bring the two together for the benefit of people. So I didn't know how that would happen, but I did think that knowing a bit about information technology would be a handy thing. So here we go. We're talking on Zoom today and you know, telehealth is everywhere. So there you go. <laughs> well, you were ahead of your time then. <laughs> and that's great. That's, uh, you know, you have that future thinking and then you put it into action. A lot of people might think about those things and can see something might change and develop, but they don't actually then decide, oh, well, I'm going to pursue that because then I will actually understand that and I'll be at that forefront, which is what you've done. And it sounds like that's how you're going to manage your career in the future. So can you tell me about your approach that you've used to career planning? And I use that term planning loosely. What were your thoughts about career plans when you enrolled in the PhD? 
that's a good question because so that wasn't entirely clear to me when I first started. So when I did my undergrad physiotherapy degree, I completed an honours aspect to it and I wrote a thesis and I quite enjoyed it and felt a real sense of accomplishment and I, I loved that I had made some little contribution to research as an undergrad. So I always wondered whether research would be another path that I should pursue because I, I did enjoy it. And in terms of having a plan, I can't say that I had a plan. <laughs> I, I think I just know what areas I'm interested in and what I'd like to do. And it really doesn't matter to me what point in my life that happens. I'm actually glad that I did end up doing the PhD 20 years after my undergrad because what it brought to it was, you know, a bit of life experience and a bit of work experience and ideas that I'm sure I wouldn't have had as a fresh first degree undergrad. So I think the PhD fit in much later in my life for practical reasons, but also the passion for it came when I was between jobs. I had just completed a job where I was really enjoying an education role where I was working as a consultant and I was teaching other health professionals about the recent research advances in a certain area. And I was discussing guidelines and systematic reviews and, and just looking at things more in depth. And, and it started to make me think about wanting to go back and visit that idea that I had about pursuing my own research and learning about the formal methods of research. So I would advise people to try new things and to follow their gut instincts sometimes, even if it doesn't make, because eventually everything will link and it'll take you where you need to be. <laughs> That's actually really good advice. And certainly for me, I work in this field, yet I've never really had you know, a career plan. In five years, I'm going to do this. And, you know, some people like to have that approach. But to be honest, really, we all know that plans can be thrown aside or something will come up. Or yes, come, we no all need to be that. so flexible and adaptable. So you already do that. You already have that adaptability. You already have that idea of knowing who you are at the time, but you know that you're going to change and your life's going to change and you will change with it. And then you look at where am I at now and where would I like to learn more about something and who do I want to help? Would that be right? Yeah, I think absolutely. I've always prioritised being flexible and adaptable to whatever your circumstances are, but it should align with your values and what you really believe will make you feel like you're doing a, a meaningful job or role. And that's probably the link that's always been there, that I've always gravitated towards study efforts or career efforts where they did align with that basic value that I have about wanting to help people. So it's nice to see that that can be done in so many ways. It is a very individual thing and it's maybe to do with stage of life, what your needs are at the time, so that can change. I'd like to know a little bit more about your PhD project. So my PhD project was in the field of pain and specifically low back pain. So being a physio you know, people joke it's our bread and butter to treat patients that come with back pain. And we all know it's a really common condition, um, not just in Australia, but all around the world. And for myself, you know, working in primary care, 
and working with people who had those first few episodes, I always felt that it was really important for us as therapists and healthcare professionals in general to get it right from the start and to also empower our patients to tell them that it's their treatment program or it's their plan, it's their goals that matter. And so this PhD was very much bringing that aspect of person-centered care. And I ended up in my PhD developing a new program that would be used in primary care. And it was with a a multidisciplinary team of supervisors, which was really exciting because we could really look at what would be the ideal combination of things that you could offer somebody who has that acute episode to really set them on that path of being an independent, empowered sort of individual looking after and self-managing. We used a method called co-design, so it was really uh, engaging with the actual users and clinicians and we tested it in a little trial as well at Macquarie. So I, I really enjoyed the process and it felt like it was very much a partnership with the patients and the clinicians working in this project. Mm. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later about how that's uh, led you to where you are now. But you took part in the IMNIS program, so the Industry Mentoring Network in STEM. Can you talk about your experience and, and what did you learn from your mentor? Yes, look, I can't um, recommend IMNIS enough. It was a, just a wonderful experience. I think first and foremost, the, the, the term mentor is not understood as well as it should be. We have mentors all around us. And this program really highlights one kind of mentor that can guide you through your journey as a student and as a researcher and and just to understand in my case it was more about finding that research voice finding what makes it so meaningful to be a PhD student in the moment but also what impact my research can have in the broader scheme so I'm very thankful to Macquarie for initiating and encouraging students to be part of this program I was connected with a really um, wonderful person who's a very accomplished professional and mentor and she taught me a lot about the importance of networking the importance of communicating your research in a very effective way about how to organize your time and how to do better planning and i think sometimes you need to see someone who's actually doing this as a profession to then try and get ideas of how you can improve and, and aim for that as well in your own career. So wonderful program. And I would encourage everybody to find the time to be part of it because it will give you skills that will help you after your PhD. So I'd really like to say a big thank you to the IMNIS program. And of course, my mentor, Nadia Levin from Research Australia, who was just a wonderful support guide and friend who helped me and encouraged me and was a great cheerleader for me in, in this journey and helped me see the relevance of my research broadly and post PhD as well. So very grateful. You've done all these things like you have done a PhD and you took part in the MNIS program and I met you through different workshops you attended so you've been a very involved person within Macquarie while you've been doing your PhD. And you also have a young family. A lot of people 
will start their PhD and end up having their family while they're doing their PhD, which is a major challenge, as it is with young children or with teenagers, can be with aging parents. It's all those caring responsibilities does tend to fall on the female PhDs more. (laughs) So can you talk about how you manage your PhD and your family responsibilities? Yeah, look, there's only one word I I kept using throughout the PhD, which was juggling. (laughs) And I think it's interesting that you say that it is mainly the females, because I think if we use the stereotype, I guess, the mother and the person who's working and studying, we are used to juggling. And we value everything that we are juggling is equally important. So I would describe this whole process as a big juggling act that I did. But I must say also that it was about working out how to balance those priorities. So I was always reflecting on what needed to be done first. And the PhD was one of those balls in the air. It wasn't the only one. And my kids were really good at at providing that balance for me because their needs also mattered. I'm grateful to my family um, because they made this PhD a very meaningful experience and a very balanced experience. And I always say to people, it was the whole family doing the PhD, not just myself. How I managed it, it's easy to think that you can't do something before you've even started. You almost have to throw yourself into it and then work out how to swim, you know, if we use that analogy. So I am grateful to my family. They helped me. Of course, I had a lot of support, other family members and friends. I had a lovely bunch of supervisors who respected that I was juggling different things and uh, it's that incredible sense of achievement at the end because you realize that when you think your plate is full and you couldn't put any more on it you actually can so I must say even though it was a big juggling act and I am glad that I've finished it I'm also very happy that I have proven to myself that I can do it and congratulations on completing your PhD it is just such a a massive achievement. Can you tell me how that felt? Like, what did you go through once you submitted it and how you felt after that? Because there can often be a sense of, particularly these days when you can just press the button to submit it, you're not walking into an office and handing over a physical object. How did that feel? Some people talk about an anticlimax and then coming to terms with that it's over. Can you talk about how you felt? Yeah, so... I think this year has been a different year in so many ways for so many people. And it has cast a bit of a shadow on that final moment as well. And and probably part of that anticlimax you're describing, because I really did feel that I had to focus on the one thing while while also thinking about what was going on with the world. (laughs) So, you know, yes, it's an amazing feeling to finish. It's a huge sense of relief, even though it's just pressing a button and then you get an email saying you've pressed the button, it's still a huge sense of relief and and not straight away, but eventually you get a real sense of exhilaration as well. And I must say it's still sinking in. It's still sinking in and it's been a few months and maybe it takes me longer, but I just, I'm still reflecting on how much I've done in the last three and a half years, how much has changed for me and the things I've learned, the people I've met, um, the experiences I've had. And I just wanted to acknowledge and thank um, my wonderful team of supervisors who helped me so much in this journey. 
Professor Julia Hush was my principal supervisor and I had a wonderful team of associate supervisors, Professor Simon Wilcock, Associate Professor Blake Deer and Professor Catherine Dean. We really did work well as a team and also towards the end of the, the, the PhD when COVID was taking off and the pandemic stress was upon all of us, I'm so grateful that they actually helped me get the PhD done, the thesis written and kept encouraging me that I can finish um, in this crazy year. So very grateful for their knowledge, their expertise and their input. And, you know, when you have a big team of supervisors, you have the opportunity to work alongside people who, have, who bring different skills and expertise. And it's really important as a student to, you know, get to know your supervisors and work out the best way to work with them, keeping in mind that they are also very busy. So thank you to my supervisors and the team and generally to the academics at Macquarie as well, who have been very supportive. I mean, every experience that was part of this journey has been life-changing. One experience was being part of the three-minute thesis competition twice. And that was wonderful. And that was so great just to see the response from the crowd and actually being in the final. And so just little, little things like that. And it, it's important to remind ourselves of all those little achievements. And they don't have to mean that you've actually won an award or you've won a prize. I think it's the fact that you were part of something and you went through that process. So, you know, just affirms to me that I do have the resilience to finish something I've started, no matter what challenges come. And I go back to that point about the family doing the PhD. I think the biggest feeling was just that feeling of accomplishment and pride, but also happiness that I could actually show my kids what it's like to finish something and that it is possible as well as to myself. So it's really good, but it has been, been a whirlwind. <laughs> so I'm still reflecting and I will continue to for a long time, I think. Yes, I think it's interesting when you do something massive and then you look back on it and think, I can't believe I did that. Because as time goes on, you look at back at something, you can see the achievement in its totality. Whereas when you're in it, you're just trying to get to the next stage, the next step. And then when you look back, you just go, whoa, that was massive. So I think that you will reflect on over time i really liked that you're congratulating yourself in many ways and being grateful to other people because i think uh that's a big part of it it's not just i've done a phd here it is but yes. all these things i've learned along the way it's funny halfway through I, I was watching a series of master chef and you know how you get to the last episode i mean there's the contestants cry all the time but you get to the last episode and they're so grateful and they're so happy and and they really went through so much <laughs> you know you feel for them the torture of you know being constantly judged and the emotions that come out and all the things they're giving up for that and I thought wow that's describing a PhD journey you know it takes so much out of you you give up your time and you give up other things in your life but there's also a reason you're doing that and then there's that sense of achievement at the end so I think lots of people come into the PhD for different reasons and I, I hope most people leave with the same sense of achievement and feeling of accomplishment that they can then take to future things that they do. And look, to be honest, a lot of that 
depends on their supervisors. You know, we know that there's a real mixture there and uh, some not so great and then some brilliant ones. And uh, that really does make an enormous difference. And so I feel for those that have struggled because of lacking support, whereas it sounds like for you, you had a good experience and that you also had a, another whole support network. So, you know, it's very yes. difficult, I think, for international students particularly where they don't yeah. have that support network and if they haven't yeah. got supportive supervisors then that's a really tough uh, journey for them yes look it's a tough journey without those additional stresses and I really admire the people that do keep persisting even though there's such huge things that are concerning them like living in another country and income financial pressures and all those things so it really is a test of resilience and I think every PhD is unique because no matter what topic you pick, you will have challenges thrown at you. And we all have to overcome them the best way we can. And also stay true to ourselves. And I must say, from the beginning, I did have a very um, realistic view on this. And I thought, this is something I'm doing as a personal growth journey, but also to satisfy my curiosity about research and improving health um, for people. But I also have to balance everything else in my life and that's a priority too. So it's an interesting yeah. journey and not everybody does it, but I think it's definitely worth it if you get through it and you learn something mm. that was valuable. And I think that's a reason people should employ PhD graduates because listen to what <laughs> you've just described. And I mean, really, that's what you need these days you know, in this rapidly changing world. So just doing a plug for PhD graduates there. <laughs> <laughs> so we met along the way and you were a little torn you loved the clinical work and you also loved research and you were looking at how do I make that choice is there a way I can combine the two and now I can say congratulations on your new job because you recently started working as the improvement facilitator aged care in the palliative care outcomes collaboration team within the Australian Health Services Research Institute. And that sounds to me, from what I've seen, as a lovely combination of the two. So could you talk about that role? Yes, absolutely. So this is a new role that I've just commenced this year, and it's a fantastic role. It's with an institute that really helps to drive change in health and health outcomes for people experiencing all sorts of conditions and problems. So they have an arm that looks at pain. They have another arm that looks at palliative care, which is the arm I work in, rehabilitation. And because they're a government-funded um, organisation, they generate the data and the research that then helps to change policies and really improve people's health outcomes nationally. So I found even finding out about them and starting to work with them in a role prior to starting this, this job, really rewarding because my focus has always been on how can we translate research into something that's clinically meaningful because that's where you want the change to be seen. You want the patient to have a great experience every time they engage with healthcare. And sometimes there is a slight disconnect or distance between the people that generate the research and the ones who are delivering it. So I've always wanted to be in that middle ground with both my interests, being a clinician, I love working with people, and also being a researcher where 
you can actually answer some of these difficult questions that people have about what is the best treatment approach or what is my prognosis? So there's so many questions in research, which is really exciting. So in my role, I'm working as an improvement facilitator. And I really like that term because, again, it allows me to be that person that helps to affect change using research and data that we collect. So I'm enjoying this new role and um, it's an exciting thing to take on. And it's also a nice flow on from the PhD. So how would you see that your PhD combined with your experience as a physiotherapist has equipped you for this role because your PhD was in a specific area around back pain and yet you're working in an area that's focusing more on palliative care. So how do you feel that those experiences and your PhD have really equipped you? Yeah, so I think I look at the PhD as a apprenticeship. So it's really not just in the topic that you're researching, but it's about learning the skills. So learning how to learn, how to answer a question, critical thinking, and also what I really enjoy is challenging traditional views and the status quo. So it's about taking further steps into how can we do something better. It's also a collaboration. So I love that there's just such a wonderful environment in a university where you've got all these minds constantly thinking and challenging traditional views. I had the privilege and opportunity to work with people working around Australia, but also internationally in the space that I was researching as a student. The skills that I learned from that, the skills were more about networking, but the thing I also appreciated was the importance of actually thinking outside your local area or your field and to actually look at problems in a bigger scale. So even though my project in my PhD was around back pain and looking at primary care, I think I started to really appreciate health systems and the complexity within health systems. And I found that fascinating because there's that real tension of what drives an outcome and who are the drivers. So I think there's all these connections that I see now that I got through the PhD, even though at times my vision was very much focused on my topic and, and the next thing I had to submit or get done, another ethics application or whatever I was up to. But now I reflect it was the whole process of learning how to become a better researcher and better person in the workforce, I guess, and real world, if you want to use that term, where you do actually want to make a change for people that are doing the work with patients on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think understanding what that looks like as a clinician and in my roles that I've done in the last 20 years and with the, the research apprenticeship of the PhD was a nice combination and made sense to me when I went into this role. I'm really pleased, you know, thinking back on some of our conversations that you managed to do this. It's just great because there was a period where you were completely torn because it did seem that it was one or the other. And I really like what you've said there that it's, about the whole PhD process and what you've learned along the way. And it's not just about your topic. The topic's important, but it's the whole PhD skills space that you've developed that you may not even be aware of unless you really have a good look at it and you've done that. The hope that you had to actually combine the clinical work with your research skills. So how did you find that position and then actually being successful? Can you tell us about that process? So I first got 
to work with the team at ASRI. When I had a locum role and I was working as part of a, a trial that they were running nationally and they needed people to be part of the trial as assessors. So that was my first taste, I guess, of being part of a really large scale trial. And I got to meet the team and starting to understand what work they do with research and research translation. I was lucky enough to be part of the trial in two time periods throughout the PhD. And in the second contact I had with them, I was asked to have a bit more responsibility as well and, and work as a peer educator, so training the next lot of assessors, which was great. And I think talking to people and networking is always good because they start to get to know you and they start to get to know what you're interested in. And it's a two-way street because you also start to ask them questions about how you can enhance your knowledge and your career as well. And, and they gave me some suggestions about roles that were coming up in their own institute. So while I was writing up my thesis, this position came up and I <laughs> decided to go for it and apply, which was great because I got the position. And so having that history and a little bit of contact with them before gave me a great insight into what this institute was about and why I would like to work with them. But they also got to know me and so it was a good connection to make. And these are the things that I can't recommend highly enough that alongside your studies, which are so time consuming and all consuming, that it's important to continue to meet people and network and get new ideas. And going back to that first thing we talked about is not to have that very rigid career plan because it can actually get in the way of opportunities and ideas that other people would love to share with you. And, and even though at the time it seems <laughs> your career is quite random and haphazard, it isn't because eventually you'll get an opportunity that aligns nicely with your values and what you're passionate about. So very happy that I had this opportunity and I'm already enjoying it a lot and I'm interested to see where it takes me too. What you've talked about there is uh, it may seem random and it's funny when people talk about their career it makes it feel like they planned it they took this step and that led to that step and and on it went all according to this great plan but really they're written in retrospect you know yes. I could sound like that but seriously mine's been very random but it is that open-mindedness that preparedness to try new things the networking the building the relationships they just make such a difference because if people know you, sometimes if they can, they will create an opportunity for you. But even if they can't do that, they'll keep you in mind and they will actually look for ways to employ you if they think this person will be an asset. You've certainly made that happen for yourself. As well as writing a very good job application, you were actually you know, completing your PhD and this opportunity came up and then you needed to write a job application. For a position like this, I imagine there were quite a few selection criteria that you had to write responses to and you had to develop a resume that really fitted with the position. So how did you approach that when you had so much already on your plate? I was just going to say something to compliment you, Sally, because oh. <laughs> I think I was prepared for that application because I took steps right from the start of my PhD at different time points, engaging with any opportunity to learn about how to develop professional skills and having conversations with you early on, talking about what is it that you need to share with a prospective employer about 
what skills you can bring to the role, even if you can't say that you have done that exact role for the last 10 years, for example. And you did help me with that. It's also important to really understand uh, the value of a good application, a good cover letter and a targeted resume. I think all those skills did come in very handy and it was a very stressful time to be writing an application, but I also valued that I had to write it well and it had to reflect who I was as a person and why I was qualified for the job. So I did take the time and it was a good experience. And I thought to myself that even if it didn't um, mean that I got an interview or this role, it was still me for the first time, really trying to combine my career, my PhD skills and, and anything you know, that I had done into one application. So it was a worthwhile experience just going through that. And you know, this takes time. You did spend the time, I must say, and you're pretty dedicated to that along the way. So as you say, you had sort of learnt those skills along the way instead of going, oh, I better learn how to write a job application. Oh, and it's due tomorrow. You, you didn't do that. You understood how much work it takes to put a really good job application with a targeted resume together. And as you say, having that attitude of if I don't get it, well, I've learnt a little bit more about how to do it. I think the more you do it, the better you get, as particularly if you reflect upon your applications, if you haven't been successful, and try and seek some feedback and guidance. Absolutely. The other thing I want to ask is looking at all the things you did, and people could say, I don't have time. Well, <laughs> looking at your life, uh, it is amazing what you've managed to fit in. And look, different personalities come into play there as well. So what advice would you give to current PhD candidates that you wish you had known from the outset? Like I said before, each PhD journey is so different and the challenges you'll face are different. So I completely respect that people have their own challenges and, and hurdles to overcome. But the things that I think, just from what I've learned, that I'd love to share with other students thinking about how to make this process even or journey even better is A, in the beginning, if you can... Start, from the, start the right way. Choose an area that you're really passionate about because when things get really hard and you start to wonder why you're on this journey, you can go back to that. Choose a team you can work well with, but grow your network constantly. So just having that initial team is great and, and you know, there'll be some people that you need to work with very closely right to the end. But there's a huge group of people, and I'll use the word mentors, that will come into your space and your life. And if you take the opportunity to get to know them and connect with them, like our conversation, Sally, the Imnus mentor that I met, all the people I met in conferences and connected with, they've all been on different and similar journeys and they can all add to your knowledge and wisdom about how to improve yourself. Believe in yourself, <laughs> even when things get hard, because really it's the challenges that are making you better. And it sounds cliched, but it is so true. And yeah, just take every opportunity to learn and that mentors are all around. I, I even said to my kids that they were my mentors <laughs> because the way that they would handle assignments that came back or exams that they'd done or, or tackling a subject or a topic that was really hard, I could watch them and learn from them and say, we have some parallels here. <laughs> And if they can do it, I can do it. So reach out and connect with people. I was even um, involved briefly with HDR Mentors, um, which is a lovely 
group that's really helping students connect with other students, not feel so isolated. So it's, it's a very personal journey, this PhD, but it doesn't have to be a lonely one. And it's important to reach out. That's so beautifully put. I love that. It doesn't have to be a lonely one. Yeah. And to the introverts, there's lots of different other ways if they can reach out through social media or, or some other form that's less confronting to them. I, I think that's such brilliant advice. Thanks, Maylene, for joining me. Thank you, Sally. It's been wonderful to catch up again. And uh, hopefully some of what we've discussed today will help people too. I'm sure it will. And I really appreciate you sharing your story and insights with us today. And congratulations again on the PhD and on the job. Thank you so much. You have just listened to an episode of the Resourceful HDR podcast about the career and employment experiences of high degree researchers, that is, Master of Research, PhD and Professional Doctorate candidates, graduates and others in the HDR ecosystem. You can also find me on Twitter as Resourceful HDR and on LinkedIn, Sally Purcell at Macquarie University. Macquarie University students and staff can also access the HDR Professional Development iLearn site. Mm-hmm.